Welcome, everybody, to Dad Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz, and we are joined tonight by our executive producer, Marco. How are you doing, big brother? Hi, everybody. How's everyone tonight? Uh, I think everyone's doing well. I want to welcome all of our viewers. Thank you for tuning in tonight. We're going to be breaking down the latest episode, the penultimate episode of Season 6 of Fear the Walking Dead. And boy, we have a lot to talk about. But before we get to that, we have a lot of guests to announce for this upcoming week. We're actually going to be doing four interviews starting tomorrow through Saturday. So tomorrow we are going to have April Billingsley. For those of you guys who don't know, April Billingsley, a lot of you will know, was one of the Terminus people that was eating poor Bob's leg during the campfire. Yes, she is a termite. You know, I hate that term. I hate the term termite, but uh, she's also done a whole host of other stuff. April is going to be joining us tomorrow evening. Wednesday, we are going to be joined by Damien Maffei, who is in the, his most recent movie was Haunt. If you guys have not watched that yet, I definitely recommend it. It's available on Shudder, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's available on Shudder. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's uh, it's not a paranormal movie. I'll leave it at that. And Damien is in some wicked, wicked makeup in that movie. So that's definitely a must watch if you guys have not watched it yet. Thursday, we got Kane Hodder rescheduled from last week. Now, I never got a chance to explain what happened last week with Kane Hodder because later that night we had Hannah Fearman, and I never got a chance to explain. We had Kane Hodder scheduled for last Thursday at 6 p.m. So 10 minutes before the show, I'm prepping, and a lightning storm moved through my area. And right outside my house, I'm not kidding you, we got hit by lightning, and we lost all power. Uh, got to back up everything and running within nine minutes after showtime. But Kane's a very busy man, and we have to reschedule. So Kane is going to be with us uh, this coming Thursday at 6 p.m. Of course, he played Jason Voorhees, starting with Friday the 13th, Part 7, and on. And then Saturday, we are going to have two guests. We are going to have Rob Mello and Rebecca Reinhardt. Uh, they are going to be in an upcoming movie uh, called Tin Roof. It hasn't started filming yet, but it's sort of a throwback to the old slasher movies. Rob has been in movies such as Happy Death Day, so you'll definitely know who Rob is. Rebecca Reinhardt's been a whole bunch in a whole bunch of horror movies as well. So we have a very, very busy schedule coming up. Like I said, four interviews uh, straight through starting tomorrow through Saturday. So with that out of the way... Let's get to talking about some Fear of the Walking Dead. And Can I also uh, reiterate, while we were kind of getting ready, there's also a couple of other guests that I'm working on myself that I don't think I had a chance to speak to you about. Um, there's a very good possibility, I got my fingers crossed, that we might be getting Rory O'Connor, who was in the new uh, Conjuring movie, who played Arnie. Awesome. That would be very great, so I'm working on that. And also Jonathan Leesman, who directed uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, um, Battle Los Angeles. I just got a call from his reps as well. So I'm trying to get them on as well, too. So we're going to have a really, really busy June. And we have Ken Kersinger on Tuesday, who also played Jason in Friday the 13th, Freddy vs. Jason, too. 
What, that's, do you, what do you guys think about Marco's collection and his wall behind him? A lot of those were picked up. Uh, he had already. Some of them were picked up during the convention we went to last weekend. And I want to show you guys my sole purchase at the convention. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> I got a handcrafted axe. It's not real. So don't be afraid. And when I bought this, I had to have it. And what I told the vendor was I'm going to scare the shit out of my teenagers with this. So I got myself this very nice handcrafted prop axe. And I love this thing. This is going to be my prop. So I'm going to be holding it as we discuss Fear of the Walking Dead. And boy, have you ever? did you ever think we would see nuclear weapons fly in the Walking Dead universe? Who knew? I was kind of, first of all, the beginning was great to me because it reminded me of the movie 300 when everybody was getting ready for battle you know morgan came out of the room closing everything behind him taking the the team out to war it had that very kind of very greek tragic beginning to it as well but yeah that episode was that was that went up that was a roller coaster ride that episode oh it man was great two people stand out dakota and strand yes okay now dakota you can sort of give a pass. She's a very confused. Uh, she plays a 15-year-old girl. She's very influenced by, uh, you know, dominant figures in her life, male or female. Uh, doesn't matter. Uh, but Strand, oh, my God. I mean. Yeah, I can't figure him out. Even, even from season one, I can't figure him out. There were moments that. I believe that he only thinks about himself and then there's moments of weakness where you can tell that he genuinely cares about Alicia and Charlie and the group. I don't know where, I don't know where to read him. I, I kind of, I, I, what he did the other day on that show when he broke the ax and let Morgan there. I mean, I knew that Morgan was going to survive because obviously he's a, he's survived a lot more worse things than him be taken out by a bunch of nuclear zombies so but that was very he's gonna he's gonna have to work himself really hard to redeem himself back from that episode i mean that was a very even yeah. in the earlier seasons of fear we all knew strand was selfish he was out for himself but what he did to morgan uh wow uh that's a whole new level of strand and yeah. even after morgan came and saved his life because Dakota was literally going to shoot him. No doubt about that. Yeah. And they're trying to get their way into that nuclear launch control room. And Morgan said he got all those magnetic keys from the dead sailors that Strand pushed him into. Uh, so he's like, ha, my instincts were right. And Morgan's like, stop. Because um, he was trying to defend himself. Yeah. He's like, ah, my instincts were right. I did the right thing by pushing you into a horde of zombies yeah. or else we would never have had a chance to come into this room. Oh my God. Yeah, oh. His, his justifications were kind of just all over the place. Yeah. Do you, do you think yeah. his time on the show is coming to an end? I don't think so. I think there's always going to be ways that strand always finds himself to be redeemed. Even when he was with Virginia earlier in the season and you knew that he was kind of taking that path. Once Virginia was killed off and you can tell that strand genuinely cared about all the people and the community that she left behind so you know that he's got a heart somewhere and he has a weakness for alicia because they've been there since day one and you know he always cared for nick and nick his family to alicia and i kind of feel like he's got to protect her 
I think Strand is going to go a long way. I think he's always going to have that roller coaster up and down. Because remember, he also has that relationship with uh, Daniel as well. Because Daniel still doesn't know where to trust him or what to do with him. And so Daniel was ch- right. Daniel was yeah. right. Yeah. And yeah. Morgan called it when it comes to Strand. He, he, uh, he told him, the only reason you did what you did to me back there is so you can go back to Alicia and be the hero. Right. What yeah. is his fascination between Strand and Alicia? Why? I, think I, think I don't get Madison. that. I think it goes back to Madison. I think there must have been some sort of like off-camera or off-screen moment between the two of them that he promised her that he would take care of her. That's the only thing that I can think of. And also, they've been together since day one, since everything happened. Because remember, they, I'm a, a lot of time has passed from the moment the first season started as opposed to the time jump where they are now. So it's been years that Strand and Alicia have known each other. I mean, it's been at least a decade, would you think, to say? Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Alicia, after what he did with Virginia, she she lost all trust in him. Right. Because right. when she got on that walkie-talkie in the previous episode, and she was trying to reach Morgan and got a hold of Strand instead, remember the first question out of her mouth was, can I trust you? Right. You know, and that's when Riley came in and took her away. And uh, Teddy, Teddy has lost his appeal. I mean, right. I mean, when he went over the the bat, you know, batshit crazy line uh, into this madman. And you know what I find fascinating on how great John Glover is portraying Teddy is that even after he launched that single missile, and Morgan had the axe up to his neck, uh, you saw fear in Teddy's eyes. He was afraid Morgan was going to kill him, even though he said his own death sentence by launching that missile. Yeah. he. I mean, he's crazy. Why do you think they let him go, though? Do you have any idea? Well, Morgan let him go. It wasn't Strand's decision. And and I do think Teddy's going to die, but he's going to die at the hands of John Dory Sr. Uh, He let him go because... Uh, according to, uh, if I were to assume what Morgan feels, they they lost. They were too late. Uh, yeah. Killing him now would do nothing. Nothing, yeah. I mean, the the missile, yeah, they got one off, but that missile has 10 warheads. Right. Which means that single missile can take out 10 different targets. Yep. And the way Riley explained it, uh, all those targets are going to be very close to where they are in Texas. Right. Uh, but it's still, you would think somebody in the group would have the, now if they would have launched all the missiles, they could have actually come close to fulfilling Teddy's wishes of, uh, you know, ending the world, especially, you know, nuclear submarine has at least 30 missiles, 10 warheads per missiles. You're talking about 300 warheads. Yeah. I mean, you could take out a continent, just like they and said. that would suck. Could you imagine having to survive a, an apocalypse, starvation, hunger, bad weather, to just go on something that man created themselves? Yeah. Like, isn't it weird? Like, it's such a hypocrisy. Like, you know, you survive this, this zombie apocalypse, you're trying to build a new life, and all of a sudden, something from the past that should have been dead with yeah. the past is now active that can still kill you. Yeah. I mean, there's no government, there's no gas stations, there's no credit cards, there's no banks, there's no government, but yet there's a nuclear warhead around that can still, and that just goes to show you how scary this can be, because I remember, 
you were you were young in the eighties, but right? I remember in the early eighties when you know we had the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that was the sixties. Was yeah, yeah. Everybody was kind of like just afraid of what's going to happen, and you know, with, with Russia and Cuba and the United States, and you know, we were all living in fear at that time. Oh, and it was the middle of the Cold War. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That, and uh, I'm glad we got a backstory to Riley this episode. Yeah, we, we exactly. We knew and that we was... know that Teddy, uh, the only reason he promoted, elevated Riley is because of what Riley can provide Teddy. Because right. Riley is the only one who knows how to launch those missiles. Yeah. That yeah. is why Riley was important to Teddy. Uh, he was probably, I'm assuming when they first met, the most important person that he had to really flip to his way of thinking. And I'm also glad we saw that flashback picture of Nick Stahl, who yep. plays Riley. Yeah. Uh, you know, when they got into the uh, the submarine and it was Morgan that recognized him and he yep. put it together. Well, that's who this, that's who I gave the key to. And yeah, so that also cemented the moment that these guys do have the ability to launch missiles. See, he would be a great redemption story for me. If he, it, even if he dies, he would be a person that I can see trying to save someone to protect. And then, because you know, he's not going to make it. We, I don't think he's going to make it. It would be nice to have Nick around on the next season, but I don't think he's going to be around that long. But it would be nice to kind of have him go out in a way where he realizes that Teddy is a nut job and what he's doing is wrong, and that he tries to last minute to kind of do something to save, maybe save Alicia, or maybe save. You know Morgan for some reason and so forth. That would be if he's going to go. I'd like for him to go out that way. That would that would be a really cool ending for him. Now, kind of get a redemption for his death. When it comes to next week's episode, which is the finale, it is directed by the awesome Michael Satrazima. So you know it's going to be a special treat. Yeah. I really have no idea what's going to happen. I don't even no. have theories. Uh, the missiles are flying, and yeah. uh, if anybody out there, I don't know. I mean. They've taken, I mean, it's TV worlds, okay? So, but nuclear warheads don't have a real uh, short, short uh, shelf life. No. Their half life is 10,000 years. So yeah. they're very much lethal. They're very much active and they're flying. Uh, I don't know if they're going to pull a TV type of thing where they turn out to be duds. Right. Uh, I think at least one warhead is going to go off. Yeah. One something, yeah, I believe that one of them will go off, but it's probably not going to be near where the the survivors are. It's probably going to be away from there. That's right. Maybe Superman will show up. Who knows? Maybe he's alive. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know. So but, who yeah. knows? You're right. TV, TV is TV. It can be, and we can also expect an episode full of anticipation and then end without anything. And then we have to wait till next season to see where like the premiere of season seven to see where it's going to go. Yeah, I think... It's one of those things. I think uh, Teddy is... If I were to place bets, I think he's going to die in this yeah. next episode. Now, Riley uh, could disappear. Right. Like the governor did. Yeah. And he may... They may bring him back. I, would, yeah. I think it'd be great to bring Nick Stahl back. Yeah, uh, he was hush hush when we saw him yeah. uh, this weekend he didn't say very much about it no no nick was uh, awesome when we met him in person yeah. such a nice guy and yeah. uh great to talk to uh he was nice enough nice enough to give us an on-the-spot interview uh but yeah um 
he could i could see him not dying i could see him sort of disappearing in the mayhem of what is going to happen next week and i'm serious i really don't even have a theory as to what's going to happen next week that's what's uh, great about yeah i was gonna like let it go let it just see what happens and whatever happens and i like, guess sometimes the best episodes are the ones that give you the best surprises so We'll see what happens. We we probably will lose a couple of characters here and there. I, I have a feeling because that there's always there's never been a finale that I know except for that one happy finale of The Walking Dead. I think it was season nine when they were all in the yeah, snow. In the snow. But for the most part, there's always been a tragic loss of a character in some kind of a finale episode. So we'll see what happens. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen. I'm kind of torn about this, but. I almost feel like they've been setting up, especially with the events of this past episode, I feel like Victor may, may Coleman Domingo's time on the show may come to an end. I, yeah. I mean, it's a theory, yeah. but uh, I think his redemption right now, the only way to that redemption would be for him to sacrifice himself right. in order to save everybody else. Great, great. Yeah. Uh, sacrifice for Alicia, like you know, if, if he yeah. if he loves her and protects her, let him you know do something like that for her. No, yeah. I agree. Because he did have sort of an awakening moment uh, when Morgan told him, you know, let him go, you know, just let him go, yeah. and uh, he just drops the axe and just leaves that control room. Morgan is there, left alone. He's looking at the key. Uh, I don't know how they're gonna do it with those missiles, Riley. There is a way, uh, at least in real life, for the United States Navy mm. military to, you know, destroy nuclear weapons even after they've flown. Right. Uh, Riley, Morgan asked him to stop and uh, how much time, and Riley said not enough. Not enough, Which yeah. is not true. I think Morgan right. gave up too easily on him. But what do you use for leverage on the guy? You have no yeah. leverage. There's nothing. There's nothing. I mean, there's, there's nothing. That's why they, uh, you know, um, Morgan said to let him go. There's not much he can do. I mean, if, yeah. if, if he's going to be part of, if it's the end of the world, he's going to be part. He can't hide anywhere that he knows of that's going to happen. So it just, yeah, just. Yeah, there's no leverage. He was, no. I mean, what leverage do you use against someone who's already committed to dying for Teddy's cause? Yeah. There's nothing. Oh. So yeah. let's switch over to Dakota. Now, oh, wow. You know, when we had Zoe Coletti on this show and The Path. Now, if you remember back then, I even said this to her as well. Zoe Coletti is who plays Dakota. I go to her. I'm not completely sold on how trustworthy uh, Dakota is. Right. And I proved to, it proved to be right. Uh, she did want her sister out of the way. And she is a product of growing up in the zombie apocalypse. Right. So to her, life is precious is really a strange concept. Right. And Teddy's way of thinking, uh, that's why she so easily falls into it, believes in it. Uh, so what are they going to do with her? What would you guess would be, what are they going to do with Zoe? What are they going to do with Dakota's character? You know, that's a very good... I think what they're going to do is they're probably going to keep... If everything works out and the missiles don't go off, they're definitely going to uh, contain her somewhere just to kind of figure out what to do with her. Because you're right, she's 15 years old. So there's no way that the, I, I see anybody 
killing her 15-year-old child. No. They might decide to send her off on her own. They might have her say, you know what, you can't stay here anymore. You got, Exile you have to go. That's, yeah, yeah. That you just leave, like they did with uh, who they you know, they did that with a lot of characters, and even on the Walking Dead, they did that with a lot of characters. They're yeah. like, you know, just go. I mean, Daryl did that with Dwight. It's like, you know, just go, just get out of here. I never want to see you again. Um, but I don't know her. That's what makes her storyline so good next season because here you have a young actress that's right on the cusp of having a great redemption or actually being a great villain. So it's kind of cool for like Zoe anticipating what her character is going to be next season. Because I don't think she's dying. She's definitely. I don't come think back. she's dying either. No, no. She's definitely, no. definitely going to come back. And it's right. Also, so you got to remember, you know, two of the teenagers on that show killed off two fan favorite characters in Nick, and also in in John. But Charlie, played by Alexa Nissenson, she was a lot younger. Then uh, Dakota, who's 15, I believe. Charlie was probably like around 11 or 10. 12, 11, 12, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, she shot him out of pure emotion. She was yeah. just upset that Nick killed the man that was taking care of her at the moment. And she felt legitimate guilt afterwards. Right. right. Dakota uh, has not shown any real remorse. No. She hasn't shown remorse yet. No. She still, she still believes that what she did was the right thing. And that's what needed to be done. And she doesn't believe that there's any consequences for her actions. Exactly. As opposed to Charlie, where it took her a long time for, like, especially that episode where Alicia and her were during the hurricane and the storm. That yeah. was the episode that the, that the two of them kind of like, okay, you know what? I forgive you. And, you know, forgiveness is not about the, the other person. It's about yourself. So for Alicia to forgive her, like, I couldn't forgive somebody who shoots you. That's me. I'm sorry. I don't know how old you are. But... Some people are better, and I guess she felt that at that time she needed to save Charlie's life. And by saving Charlie's life, she needed to forgive her so that she has a reason to move on. And now she's become one of my favorite characters. I could tell she's going to be a very – she reminds me a little bit of Tara. She's got that, like, Tara yeah. in her Remember when she first came on. You're talking about she, uh, Charlie, right? Right, Charlie, yeah. yeah. She's got a little bit, she reminds me a little bit of Tara. You know, she's got that little spunkiness to her, but is definitely – courageous enough to kind of pick up a knife and pick up a gun and go over there and fight and kind of say protect herself and her friend or family so i'm very curious to see how dakota is going to move next i think that i think the writers are going to come up with a really good storyline for her but she definitely will be redeemed but i think it's going to be a while until that happens now moving on again to next week's episode this episode that just ended yesterday we got to see really one set of characters morgan strand were the two main ones of course, uh, Karen David, uh, Grace, Grace. Uh, uh, you know, Dwight, Sherry, they were all in the submarine. And then you had the other people that were outside the submarine that we got to see a little bit at the ending. Ruben Blades, who plays Daniel, Luciana, uh, yeah. uh, Sarah. So next, we didn't see any Alicia in this episode. No. Do no, we... he, uh, he has her somewhere. Yeah, he has Jenny her locked has up in this bunker. So, who do you see playing the major role in this finale? I still think it's going to be the the primary cast that we saw this week. I still think it's going to be them. I still think it's going to be Morgan and Strand and June and and um, John Dory Senior. I still think they're going to try to. I, I think the other characters are going to be there as well. But 
what I noticed in the trailer that there wasn't a lot of walkers that they showed a lot. So no. they kept on going back and forth, back and forth, unless they're just very secretive with what they're going to show us. But I still think it's going to be the main core of actors that we saw this episode that's going to focus to move on to the finale. Because I still think they're, they're going to try to figure out how to stop those missiles. I'm very curious how they're going to stop those missiles. Yeah. You're right. One of them will go off. One of some, something will happen. And maybe, maybe this is a possibility. Uh, we don't know where I, Alicia's going to be in the finale. And I think yeah. she's going to play a major part. Yeah. We don't know uh, what this bunker is. All we saw was the entryway where he locked her in right. last week. Okay. Right. We don't know what's down below. Right. Now, could they, you know, it is TV world, possibly. Uh, it is some kind of blast proof bunker. Could there be controls for them to deactivate the bombs? I don't know. But Alicia, I think, is going to play a prominent role in the finale. In the finale yeah. uh, uh, do you see uh, John Dory Sr., who's played by the awesome Keith Carradine, do you see him surviving into season seven and becoming part so. of the major I cast? Think so. I, I think he'll be in. I think he's too. He's got a great. He's got a, a great chem. a great chemistry with Jenna Elfman. You could tell right then and there too. And they worked up such a great storyline to keep him around. I think it would be kind of dumb on the writers and the directors to kind of get rid of him right away. I think I think they'll still keep him around. And they need him. I think yeah. June needs him to feel some sort of family. Yeah. She has, you know, like a real family. I mean, this is, you know, her husband's father. So she feels a connection to him. So and now that June is and, and we don't know where, and where Al is. We haven't seen Wendell. I mean, we don't know where a lot of these exactly. You know, exactly. Where, where are they? they? I mean, we and assume we and we didn't see the uh, those group of survivors that were living underneath that bunker with the farm. I mean, are they going to be safe? Now, do the only know? thing we do know about Al is that she went to look for Isabel. Right. Now, here's another possibility: Could the CRM? play a factor in this finale of course they yeah they could they might have the ways of shooting that down we know they have resources we right. just don't know what the extent of those right. resources I mean, are i didn't think about that until you brought it up there's a very good possibility maybe that's why they're looking for the helicopters exactly this has a way of deactivating the bombs i think they're gonna now that you mention it there's a good possibility that they're gonna play a really big role i think in the finale i think it, he, i think he, it would be awesome yeah if they bring back Isabel, who's played by Cindy Lemon, back into the finale. Yeah. yeah. Like we see Al and Isabel reunite. Uh, but does Al know about the nuclear? She did, She left before they found out about the nuclear weapons. But right. you have to assume a missile going up in the air is seen yeah. by a lot of people for miles around. And also, there's she's probably on radio communication as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm assuming she probably does know, and it would be great, you know, and I'm just thinking of this as we're going now. Al gets to meet up again with Isabel, and she ends up helping the CRM to yeah. deactivate that bomb, because that bomb is a direct threat to the CRM yeah. as need, well. The military is the only one that can deactivate that bomb. You need yeah. another missile to, to knock that down. So yeah. that's why they were looking for that helicopter. Remember how the helicopter was yeah. so important at one point? Yeah, because they they, they they could have known that that chopper could help them. That's why I'm not, I didn't even think about. It. That's a very good point. Exactly. I think that might be where they might be going because I can't think of anything else. Because if the bombs go off, that's it. You're done. 
Me neither. I think, uh, you know, there's a good chance we are going to be seeing the CRM. I love to see Isabel come back and Al reunited and actually see the CRM, who we know is a vicious group. Okay, they in World Beyond, we know what they want to live. They don't want to die. So obviously, if they make a a choice, they're going to be like, we don't want to. We don't believe in this because they've already established such a branch of government on of their own that they work so hard to create. Yeah. So why would they want all of a sudden to go, eh, no, well, we don't need that anymore. No, no. If they were like, had the same idea as Teddy and they right. were like, okay, our yeah. plan is to annihilate, they would have done it a long time yeah. ago. There's a difference between you being a madman as yeah. opposed to being, you know, like a regime of evilness. Yeah. You know, it's, if you're both, then you're, you're, you're trouble. But the CRM is not, they want to, they created a government of their own to survive in the post-apocalyptic war. Yeah. So they're going to have some nutbag. Sorry, I don't want to curse. They're not going to have some nut job. Just kind of like, eh, you know, we'll just blow it up. It's fine. Well, the world's not over. We'll start a yeah. And again, a nuclear bomb, when it goes off, it takes years for the... It oh, yeah. Of, it takes that, I, yeah, a long, long time for, even so to, like, for those to come up above yeah. again. So now... Uh, if they do bring back the CRM, that would put the CRM with Morgan and his group on the same side, and that is to stop this immediate threat. Now, what they do with them afterwards, who knows? And the last time we got to hear Isabel was in the beginning of the season during that episode when they got into that plague-infested building, and Isabel, uh, I'm sorry, Al prevented Isabel from landing on that roof. She let him know that it was infected with the plague. Isabel told her about what's in the uh, up on that roof to the the medication to cure everybody. Uh, but they, I got the impression from, from just listening to Isabel on the radio that they're aware of a of a threat. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not referenced, but I could tell. There was some urgency, like the CRM was searching for something. Yeah. Maybe they know that there are nuclear weapons out there. Maybe they're looking for the key as well. Exactly. There is a a nuclear submarine out there that's beached, and it poses a direct threat on what the CRM is trying. They definitely have the manpower and the government and the regime to stop it if they knew. I think that, and it's funny because from the first episode of season six, that key... That was the star of that season. Was that little that key? That's what everything yeah. was all about. And you know, we figured it out halfway through. I'm like, it's got to be a nuclear key. Somebody yeah. had one of them, and then they needed the other one to kind of connect it. So absolutely, cool. absolutely, it's a great, great move. So, does it surprise you? Uh, well, two parts. They've been really uh, moving through storylines very quickly on fear. Mm-hmm. Virginia thing ended really quick, unexpected, and I thought this whole Teddy storyline will go into next season. That's not going to be the case. Does it surprise you how quickly they're moving through these storylines? I don't think surprise is the word. I think it's a completely... I think the writers and the producers, even though it's the same universe, I think they're trying to make the shows as different as possible. Maybe they'll learn their mistake with the Savior War. Right. Also, because when... Remember, Walking Dead has a five-year jump ahead of Fear. Yeah. Because Walking Dead... Fear started in 2015 when Walking Dead was already five seasons in already. And not only that, when the six-year time jump after Rick left, that never happened in Fear. 
No, it didn't. It never happened. Yeah. But yeah, so I think they're trying to kind of make it, you know, like how can I explain? Like humanity, people who live together necessarily don't all make the right and same decisions as another group of people do. Yeah, it seems like everybody, uh, everybody from the, all the shows has their own version of how life should begin. Exactly. I mean, look at look at World Beyond. The kids never lived in a world prior to where they're living to right now. So you and I know popcorn and movies and television and Wi-Fi. These kids don't. don't know any of that stuff. So when they first go out, when Iris and her sister go out into the world and they see their first walker, it's kind of like seeing the Loch Ness monster. Yeah. You hear about it, but you never get to see it. So it, it, they're, and, and plus they grew up under the CRM, so they don't know what they're they're told. What they're told. Mm-hmm. That's why now they're finally waking up and like say, hey, wait a minute, there's something beyond these walls and beyond these gates. There's this this life that there's something out there. So I think even though all three shows are the same, they're just trying to d- differentiate because life is not the same everywhere you go. It, it's different. Everyone needs to, to survive differently. Like going back to The Walking Dead, you know, we have the commuters, we have Alexandria, we have um, the kingdom, we had uh, Hilltop, all different trying to survive in, in the way they know how to. And remember, if you think back, the group probably would have never left Georgia if Eugene did come up with the idea of having a cure for the yeah. virus. Yeah, it's true. I think about that. They yeah. would have found a way to live in Georgia. Yeah, there was. Just, I mean, they would have moved someplace else, but there was. But no there's mo- no reason for them to try exactly. anywhere else. There's no no one saying, by the way, let's go. Let's let's go to DC. <clears throat> yeah. No one no one thought about that. Same thing with Fear. Fear was started in California, but the thing is, what was great about that show, and it was funny because I was watching a little clips of the first season today. I was just kind of bouncing around, and it's such a brilliant show if you watch it because. What I love about zombie films and series is the beginning of the chaos. Yeah. That's what like what people do when they don't know what it is. Yeah. That's what and that's what we didn't see in The Walking Dead. No. We saw the minute, you know, Rick and the police chase, boom, five weeks later on the world ended. Yeah. But with fear, and that's why when people say, Oh, I don't like it, it's too slow, you that's the great part about it. You're watching something that happened in the five weeks that Rick was in the coma. Exactly. And that's a beautiful thing to watch with the world falling apart. Like Tobias said, you know, when governments fall, they fall fast. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it happened in Los Angeles was great because it's such a vast city. It could have happened in New York or Chicago. But the way they picked L.A., it was just great. And, you know, when you watch it again with new eyes, knowing now, Fear the Walking Dead becomes a brilliant show that's going to be a staple in the Walking Dead universe when the show is over in like 10, 15 years or whatever it lasts. Yeah, I will, the, with, with no question about it, this season that is ending uh next weekend has been by far i would rate it up there as with one of the the best walking dead seasons and a lot of people will tell you season five everybody has their own favorite walking dead season i you know yeah and even with fear like i love the first season for me because i enjoyed watching the unfolding of the families like watching madison and and um oh my god kurt Curtis. Curtis. No, that's no. That was it. Was Curtis' name? Yeah, it was. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, like I forgot. Like just just the buildup of their family and everything, and you know, watching Nick, you know, become struggle, and then taking their their personal lives and making it. You know, now all of a sudden, whatever is important to them anymore 
is way less important than what's going on with with humanity. And that's a great thing. That's what's great about a show like that. It's not bloody, it's not gory, but it is scary because you're watching your world fall apart. And and there's nothing more terrifying than that. It really isn't. That's like us all of a sudden sitting here, and next thing you know, we get an Amber Alert that there really is a a zombie apocalypse going on. Uh Like, you have your ex. (laughs) It's like, what do you do? So that's one thing about fear that I think really captured the audience from day one. And whoever hasn't seen it or says, ah, it's really slow, please go back to it again and watch it with that perception. Watch it as as, as, as a human being watching your world fall apart and not knowing what to do. Not yeah. knowing, like, you know, you're calling 911 and no one's answering. Exactly. You know, there's no police. There's, it, it's terrifying. It's it a is. scary thing. It, it really is. is. No, so lo- that's the thing that fear, I think, has a great recipe of yeah. that we didn't see in The Walking Dead. Walking Dead was, let me tell you something, that the first five seasons of Walking Dead was, Amazing. I was glued to my television Sunday night with nothing else going on. Even I remember when I was working and I would be, I would come home from work, I for that one hour, I, sh- I watched that show, no one bothers me, because I looked for it religiously to see it. Now, speaking of The Walking Dead, last weekend, you got to meet your favorite character my from God. The Walking Dead. And, Ross Marquand is Marco's favorite uh, actor from The Walking Dead. He plays Aaron, of course. And uh, what we did not get to film is as we were saying goodbye to Ross, Ross gave Marco a hug. Made my day. (laughs) Yep. Made my day. What was it like meeting him for you in person? It was really special for me because I've... I connected with Ross's character because he plays an LGBT character as well. And considering that June is Pride Month, I felt very important for LGBT characters to be portrayed in a non-cliche, stereotype way. Yeah. And and he plays that character to a perfect fault. I mean, here's a man who's very educated. We don't know much about what he did before. No. So, which, but he's such a, a strong character. He's a survivor. You could tell he's a, a loving partner. You could tell he was a great dad when he's he was a great grew, dad uh, with Grace. 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 And he just had this great chemistry with everybody. He had a great relationship with Norman Reedus's character, had a great relationship with Tom Payne. You could tell that he's gonna blend in. So when I got to see him over the weekend and he was as close to me as you know, you are across the screen from me now, I just kind of felt I felt like a sixteen year old girl who had a crush on her teacher. And that's horrible to say. He was just a very and, and then he was very warm and very polite, and he. I noticed how he interacted with the fans. He never rushed anybody, was very kind with taking pictures, and that really impressed me about that because he didn't have to do that. No. But the fact that he was there and he gave his time to do that for the fans was great. And, yes, I got to hug him, and it was a great thing. It was it was wonderful. It was, it was, it was, it amazing. was amazing. And Marco made a comment to him about how they uh, get about getting Aaron a love interest. And Ross had the greatest comment. They keep killing them off. (laughs) And he mentioned Jesus. They keep killing them off. You're right about that. He could have, he kind of hinted that way that, you know, about Jesus. Yeah. We all read it. Yeah. We've all read it on here on this show. Many times articles on how there was supposed to be some kind of romantic thing going on between Aaron and Jesus. Either it got filmed or it got cut, but yeah, when we met uh, Ross this weekend and he, you know, mentioned that they kept killing off any romantic interest, he did mention Jesus first. Right. He did mention so, Jesus first. So maybe they were working on that. St- I mean, you know, Tom Payne, you know, he got that role in Particle Sun, and I think that had a lot to do with him departing the show. 
too. I think that kind of influenced it a lot as well because now all of a sudden you're going from a show where you're an ensemble cast to a show where you're the star. Exactly. So as an actor, I, I would totally kind of have that. Oh, yeah, totally yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. And we're all happy for Tom Payne and all the success he's had uh, since leaving The Walking Dead. Let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, you and I both watched a movie this uh, past weekend called Terrifier. Okay. Uh, now, I don't know uh, how many of you guys have watched it. It's uh, It's off of a short story from the anthology movie all hollows eve the movie is produced by dread central the movie just came out uh, in 2018 so just a Mm -hmm. mere three years ago now my it was a if you want to watch a movie that's an absolute gore fest you gotta watch terrifier it's very popular Uh, i'm sure you've seen that creepy clown in pictures art the clown now what really struck me when watching the terrifier was how the director damien leon who wrote yeah, it yep. he wrote it mm-hmm. and directed it well i'm went, trying to get on the show i got my fingers crossed yeah. we oh. went he went totally old school with down to the film quality it was shot in a very grainy on purpose uh mm-hmm. to give it that 80s feel and look and it actually really worked for the yeah. movie. It really worked. Uh, I mean, you said it had one of the grossest kill scenes you have ever seen. I've and ever I, seen true. the 50 years plus I've been alive in movies. I've never, and the fact that the MPA got away with that, I was very surprised. That was absolutely cringeworthy, that death. Now, I can spoil it for you people, but no, I'm not going no, yeah. to. You guys got to watch it. It's just so, you'll know exactly what scene it is when you're up to it. But it was so, it was, I was sitting there like, how are they getting away with this on film? Yeah. It was just amazing. Yeah. But the movie was very scary. It was really, really done very well. I was sitting there, I'm like, wow. So I saw elements of Saw, I saw elements of Wrong Turn, I saw elements of It. There's so many elements of horror movies, but yet art himself. And also, if you watch the beginning of the film, watch it carefully, and then watch the end very carefully, because the both of them sing together, that I kind of went, oh, I get it. Yeah. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. I Colette, also read the- Colette wants to know, uh, we watched it on Voodoo, but do you know if it's streaming anywhere? Or is it uh, just available for rent or buying? I think it's I think available... It's a- Colette, like can... I, I think it's it's definitely available for rent or buying on any uh like Voodoo, Fandango Now, Amazon Prime. I don't think it's available for streaming like on Shutter yet, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, like I said, if you guys are into the gore, uh, for me, gore doesn't bother me. I'm, a, I'm... Yes, I love a good gory movie, but I like it to have um not. See, how can I explain? Like, I love a good gory movie that makes sense. Like, yeah. this makes sense to me because you know nothing about art's history. Mm-hmm. And remember that one scene with the the homeless woman? Yes. And then all of a sudden he's, I don't want to say, but he puts on something that scared the crap out of me. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? The yeah. hair. He, it, it, no, you it can was, say it. He puts on a skin suit. 
Yeah, it was absolutely, it was terrifying. That's exactly what the movie was called. It is so good that I can't, like, I can't talk much about it. And that's why I'm dying to get Damien on the show and ask him, dude, what the F were you thinking of doing? And he's also making a sequel. Yeah. He's actually production. So I, I'm, I That movie be, did very, very well. It did very well. Very, very, well. Well. very popular. Uh, and you know, you think the clown from it is scary. This clown, oh man, he blows well, every other scary he, clown out of the water. What the folklore about clowns are, no. uh, it's, it's a Norwegian word for clown. And what happened was, according to the folklore, there was a group of expeditioners that were hiking the mountains of Norway during the winter. And what happened was an avalanche had, uh, caved them into a cave and what they did for so they lived there for so long that their skin got white and they had to file their teeth up against the rocks so that they can eat all of the animals that they could possibly catch so clowns are not funny they're terrifying beings but of course through the passing of time we made and so forth but clowns are very i hate clowns no disrespect as a clown they they they're not funny they're annoying. They terrify the crap out of me. But that particular that that actor who played, who's actually going to be in the convention in September, I think, in in, in Atlantic City, um, and he's going to be there. And so are the three girls, which is going to be great. The three lead stars. Mm. So definitely, yeah, definitely want to kind of work on that and get him on. But um, that actor who played him, you know, we talk about the director, but he was brilliant in that role because he's a tall, thin, lanky man that you think is funny and cute, but then you're like, dude. He's you crazy. Are, he's just he's, flat out nuts. Yeah, you are, there's no motive to his motive. And that's what's scary. It's like Michael Myers. There's no motive to your killings. No. That's no. nothing. He kills this guy on Terrifier, kills indiscriminately in a very horrific, horrific way. Yeah. He puts any kills you have seen from Michael Myers, Jason yeah. Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, to All shame, to shame. Turn everybody, yeah, exactly. exactly. And just to give you a little spoiler, as opposed to all the other slasher movies, you don't see it that much, but this killer is not afraid to use a gun either. No, <laughs> no. So. He's, yeah, he's an old, exactly. Everything he uses is everybody uses, yeah. So that was a great film that we saw. And um, I, we both saw The Conjuring. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that next. Now... I, I just want to say I did watch The Conjuring right as it came out, uh, June 4th. Uh, I, I really liked it. They I liked how they, they changed the recipe. The first two movies were straight out paranormal, demonic uh, movies where a demon has infested a family. It's trying to oppress them and eventually possess them. What they did with the third conjuring movie which just came out this past friday called the devil made me do it they added an element of human mystery and what i'm talking about human mystery is the warrens uh actually have a wisp uh a mystery because it's not actually a pure straight up demonic haunting it's a curse it's a curse that was brought upon by a, a human living person. So on top of all the normal scares that you get with all the Conjuring movies, I like the fact that they added this mystery element to it 
as opposed to following the same recipe that they followed in the the first two movies. Uh, I'm not saying it was my favorite by far. No. I agree with you. The first one is still my favorite. I, I love the second one. I love the third one as well. They each have a very special place. Um, but what did you what did you think about the opening fifteen minute exorcism scene in the Conjuring? That was first of all that little boy who played David is amazing. He and then to me, you know, and I'm getting goosebumps right anyway. And children to me in horror movies are they're terrifying because mm-hmm. they. You know, they're children, you know, so yeah. you always think of them as being wonderful. But then when they kind of, you know, when they take that turn and they kind of just become this evil thing, you don't know what to do about it. You, yeah. Your moral says to yourself, I can't kill a kid, but this child is going to hurt me and hurt someone I love. Then you kind of conflict it. Goes but back to Carol and Lizzie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, what? but that opening scene was so intense and the way it was done and the contortionist of the vid of the body and everything. Ooh. I was like, Whoa, what was going on here? And, and it, it was just amazing. It, it grabs you right there. And that's what makes the movie so well, because if you notice that all three conjurings, the opening scenes is always a scene that you're like right there. Yeah. You know, you're looking at it right there. It, you, you, it you're, hooks you're, you're taken by it. it hooks Whatever you right happens, away. you're going to watch it Yeah. because it just kind of, it just takes you right then and there. It was it was and so was the Rory O'Connor who played Arnie was amazing, and what's great about this one is we got to see a little bit of uh, Ed and Lorraine's past and their mm-hmm. love life, and so they made them a lot more human and you know they made them great and it was it was it was really good it was a it was a wonderful movie it moved by really quick, um, you know there was actually a kill that we never got to see in any movie before we actually That's saw true. blood in this one yeah. This one did have some blood yeah. element to it. This one, yeah. They never, there was no blood in it at all. There was no killings in the other ones. I mean, it got an R rating the first two, but I think it was because of just uh, pure fear and yeah. fright. Scare. This one actually deserved its R rating. Yep. And The Conjuring 3, uh, the Arnie Johnson case happened in 1981. Now, yeah. the uh, the last Conjuring movie with uh, that took place in Enfield in the United Kingdom, that... Uh, was many years prior. So to age uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who's played by Vera Farmiga and Scott Wilson, right? Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. Scott Wilson is Herschel. Duh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Patrick Wilson. Uh, they aged them uh, yeah. to make them fit into where the Warrens were in their actual life back in 1981. So, great movie, great sequel. Uh, it's available uh, on HBO Max. And what I've learned is if you're actually subscribed to HBO via your cable or satellite, yep. they actually give you access to HBO Max. Yep. So, and now every single Warner Brothers movie that gets released in theaters goes to HBO Max the same day. Exactly. And so for the every, first every 30 DC days... Movie- out every horror, every DC movie now that comes out DC Universe, like the Batman or the new any Suicide Squad movies, once it hits theaters, it'll go on HBO Max. So that's a great thing as well. And I also happen to see Spiral as well, which you haven't seen. I haven't seen that yet. Another gory film, but very well, very well done. Whoever has seen it will know all about it. Big twists and uh, 
my I applaud Chris Rock for taking a role on that because you always see him as a comedic actor. Yeah. I I didn't see him that way in this film. He was the you know the the cop, cop at the issues. Um, Samuel Jackson was a million a great as well too, and you know I'm not a big fan of his, but he was great in this role because he wasn't in the movie as much mm-hmm. as you want him to. But again, a lot of great kills, a great storyline. It connects Jigsaw to this film. Um, if anyone hasn't seen it, please see it. It's really good. And also, talking about Saw, they did something that I have not yet seen with new releases. Uh, when uh, Spiral did get released to on demand uh, around the same time it got released to theaters. But here's the twist on what they did with Spiral you can't buy it, you could only rent it. And the cost for renting it for 48 hours is 20 bucks. Which I did. Yeah. But I would have went to the movies and paid for it anyway. Exactly. So it's fine. Exactly. To me, it, it would have been a big deal. So I, wanted to see it. I don't know if that's a... I'm not. I'm sort of torn. I don't know if that's a good idea, but they are trying different stuff. Yeah. Since uh, not every theater is nowhere near coming back yeah. to full capacity. So in order you know, for these big budget films to sort of get their return. What they did with Spiral is, it is avail- it became available soon after it was released in theaters to, uh, to rent it only on video on demand. You cannot purchase it, but it's an expensive rental. It's 20 bucks, but you that 20 bucks, you can watch it with friends, family, yeah. and yeah. you get 48 you hours. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. charge $5 from your friends, you make it back. Yeah, so. Exactly. Um, I have a couple of things I want to say. That's like a couple of news that I got on before. So since May 15th, the top three grossing films in cinema worldwide have been The Conjuring, Spiral, and A Quiet Place, which Mm -hmm. goes to tell you how much horror has an impact on society. Good for them. Uh, There is a brand new Texas Chainsaw Massacre that has been filmed and waiting to be released. Not sure the date. It is directed by a gentleman named David Blue Garcia, who was actually a photographer, cinematographer, and was actually asked to direct this film. Awesome. Now, there is a Leatherface. There is Alice Krieg, who was in this movie, who was amazing. I'm assuming she's going to play Verna Sawyer. And there's a gentleman named Mark Burnham, who's going to take on the role of Leatherface. Mm. What's good about it is, is she, there's a character named Sally Hardesty. Now, Sally was the original Sally from the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But this actress is older, so I think they're going to do a reboot of the film. But as a massive Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan I am, who yeah. I love, cannot wait to see this movie. And Fetty Alvarez, who directed uh, Evil Dead, which is one of my favorite remakes of all time, produced it. So you know the gore value is going to be there. It's going to be a great film. I can't wait for that to come out. Um, as far as anything else is concerned, uh, just keep on watching horror movies. It's... But, the, but that just goes to show you that the top three movies to come out recently are all in the horror yep. realm. Yep. Since May 15th. So it's going on a month now uh, yep. that they're going to be up there. A Quiet Place, I, I'm dying to see. I hear it got great reviews. And again, I applaud John Krasinski for directing it. He did yep. a great job with the first one. Uh, Alien movies, you know, that's a movie that you can put under horror as opposed to Alien sci-fi. 
because the horror of it is there's no people left in the world. You're exactly. dealing with yourself trying to survive. I think that's, that's just one of those true sci-fi horror films. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, it could be one of those like Alien. What do you, Alien could be a horror sci-fi film, but definitely something that, that I think Aliens is more of a sci-fi action film as opposed to a horror movie. Yeah. But I do think that Alien is more of a horror film because yeah. it just it isolates the characters and it kind of makes you up against the monster. Yeah. And right. another thing, again... And I'll stop talking because you know me. I love to, to chat. There's another great film called The Prodigy. If you guys have, we're talk, going to talking about children in horror films. This one is also excellent. I advise to see it. It stars uh, Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black. She plays a mom who has a child, and the child actually is born the same day that a serial killer is killed. Oh, I can see where that's going. So again, a great film, and the little boy who plays. I don't know his character's name. Was actually the boy who played um, in it, the little oh, brother. What's oh. his name? Um, I don't remember. I can't get his name. Well, it's okay. It's all right. Yeah. Anyway, we are out of time, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in tomorrow. Tune in 9:30 p.m. Eastern for our special guest, April Billingsley. Uh, April is uh, she ate Bob's leg. Anyway. <laughs> April, who's been in a bunch of stuff, is going to be our special guest tomorrow night at 9.30 p.m. Uh, we have a whole host of guests coming up this week. Thank you so much, Marco, for joining me. Guys, thank you so much. Always a blast. Can't yep. wait to do it again. Absolutely. And don't forget to watch the Fear of the Walking Dead finale that's coming up on Sunday, this coming Sunday. Till tomorrow, guys, stay safe and stay walking. Good night. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye.